Welcome to the Sexual Mindfulness Project podcast, where we talk about creating an intentional relationship and how to find joy in slowing down, letting go of judgment, and connecting more deeply with your partner. I'm Dr. Shalom Levitt, and today I'm here with Amber Price and Rebecca Clark. Everybody probably remembers where they were when 9-11 happened. You remember the time and the place and what you felt. Likewise, probably most of us remember where we were when we got the talk. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that this is either a really memorable experience for everybody or maybe what's memorable is that there was no experience, right? Our parents maybe didn't have this talk with us and we were left kind of guessing or gathering information from friends or, you know, whatever other sources we could. Um, So yeah, that's, we're going to talk about having that complete conversation with your child about sexuality. As parents, we need to know our children well enough to sense when it is they're ready for this kind of information. Generally, from a developmental perspective, we would assume that this is going to happen somewhere around seven, eight, nine years old. That's when we know children are psychologically um, developed enough to really understand all of the things we're going to talk about a relationship. So that's partly what, well, that is what we're going to cover today. I say partly because uh, it's a pretty big topic. So we'll, we'll likely have a few podcasts on this and a number of blogs because there are so many complications to this. Every child's personality is different. Every child receives it differently. Um, they might have different questions. Some children you kind of have to encourage into this talk and, uh, help them understand this is healthy for them, and they might not say a word or ask a question. Some children just have tons of questions. I know with my eight children, I had a range of responses. One of my daughters, it was, we had talked about, you know, sex and all of the particulars for about an hour, and I thought it was kind of time to wrap up. She just kept having more questions. But then on the other spectrum, I had a son who was not at all excited to have this conversation. And by the end of the talk, he said, can we please never talk about this again? And for that child, I realized I really had a lot of follow-up work to do. I needed to help him feel comfortable. The interesting follow-up to that story is he's an adult now. um, And when his younger brother, when it came time for him to have you know, the talk, the older son, he asked if he could come in and be with his younger brother during this talk. And one by one, every single one of my other children also asked if they could come in and be in there while we had the talk with our youngest son. So, I mean, I think that as parents, we just have to realize this is just the beginning point. Well, maybe it's not, hopefully it's not the beginning point, but this is just one point in our journey of talking about sex. I just was thinking as you were saying that, I think, um, you know, you were saying it's probably around seven or eight. And I think the kids start to kind of ask questions or there's just there. It's like potty training. When you kind of see these cues happening, you know, it's kind of getting to be time. And I think better to start addressing those questions rather than waiting. I remember for myself, I think I was in third grade and I did a science fair project called inside the egg and it was about chickens, but I think I had made some comments to my mom. Well, you don't need a dad 
you know, there's only a mom. And, and that was like a trigger point for her. She knew, okay, she's starting to think through these things. It's time to start to have that conversation. I think you'll, you'll begin to recognize when your kids are really starting to question things and need to have some answers. Yeah. What, what if they don't give any signals? What would you say if they're just silent on the topic? I think that's important too, to realize that sometimes kids don't know to ask or don't know how to ask. And so like, I love Amber's idea of just being sensitive to cues, but I think part of that is being, uh, I, I just remember teaching our first child to ride a bike and she was, um, I think she was about six years old, but the thing that made us realize that she was ready to ride a bike was that we saw a cousin, her little cousin who was a good two years younger riding a bike and it hadn't occurred to us that our daughter has a skill set she's just our oldest it just hadn't occurred to us she never had brought it up and so i think just being aware that we might need to initiate that conversation is is an important thing to be aware of good point well and they're gonna learn it they're gonna start to hear about it even if they're not asking those questions they are gonna start to hear about it and wouldn't you rather they were hearing about it in your home instead of on TV or at school or those kind of things. Yeah, I really like the research that shows that parents who have an open communication about sexuality, they're actually creating this protective factor in their children's lives about how they then uh, interpret and receive all other sexual information that they're given. So if it doesn't, if additional sexual information from their peers or from other sources doesn't match up with what their parents have initially told them, that was their first impression, and it doesn't match up with that, then the children are far less likely to, you know, internalize it. And so it's really nice that if we're comfortable and we can create this, this safe, loving environment where we openly talk about sex, um, any question they have, and even give them more information than they knew to ask about, that helps our children understand we're a great source, we're a good authority on this topic, and it's not embarrassing or awkward. You know, Shalom, in your book about uh, a better way to teach kids about sex, there's a great word in there in the chapter on teaching, one of the chapters on teaching kids, and it's talking about being cheerful as you talk about sex with your kids. And I think that is a really good sort of mantra to have playing in the background of your mind. If you're not comfortable with it, try to be as comfortable as you can. But I think cheerful is a really good sort of target point to to aim for like you're saying this this sets the foundation for how kids are going to internalize all kind of the future messages that they receive about sex and if they hear from us kind of a cheery uh, a cheery attitude and tone i think that's a wonderful place for sexual learning to start that's a great point and it makes me think of um, a couple who came up to me after some seminar i had taught on this topic and and they said i don't think either one of us can pull this off with our kids. We're both so nervous and and shut down about sex that uh, we just don't think that we can really create that environment you're talking about with our own children. So the plan that we came up with as we we were just brainstorming what they could do uh, was that they should just teach each other about sex first, just like they would teach their child. And then once they kind of worked out all the kinks and felt comfortable, then they could go ahead and introduce it to their children with this cheerful, relaxed attitude that you just mentioned, Rebecca. 
I think that um, for us, one thing that we've tried to do with our boys is um, we have the discussion with them. We sit down and have an, you know, an open discussion. And we, we mentioned to them that we're okay with them asking questions anytime, anywhere, any questions they have. And then we kind of let them know that we're going to follow up so that they know that that groundwork is laid. And then especially in the couple of days or week right after it, we really try to say, hey, have you thought about what we talked about? Do you have any questions? And several of them have had questions once they've had time to like mull it over in their minds and things. Yeah, you guys are bringing up great ideas. First of all, I like that it doesn't have to be just one big talk right? We will certainly give an example of what a big talk looks like today, but we could even break that down and just talk about a number of different areas of this talk um, in smaller bites. Um, And then following up is so important. Our kids need that reassurance that if they didn't think of something, they're still going to have a chance to ask later. And in fact, it won't be pressure on them to ask my parents are going to come. My rule of thumb has kind of been once I have that, you know, complete talk with them that my children really know what sexual intercourse looks like, what a sexual relationship is for, the meaning of sex, all of that, then I want to follow up with them between that time and about the time they start into puberty, maturation. Um, I want to talk to them once a month about something related, some, some idea within healthy sexuality. And then once they've hit puberty, I need to be talking to them once a week about something. It doesn't have to be a big, deep topic, just, you know, anything that happens to arise. You know, oftentimes, like Amber said earlier, I listen to the cues that my children are giving me about maybe a conversation they had with their peers or a TV show they were talking about, something in their life that kind of prompts some topic that we could uh, maybe dive into a little deeper. Well, so let's jump in to what a talk should include. You know, when we're really trying to help our children have a complete understanding of sexuality. Um, First of all, I guess I would say that I would encourage both mom and dad to be there. I think that that is just a representation that sex occurs within a relationship hopefully a loving, committed relationship, right? We know from research that that's the, that's the environment that we're most likely to have great sexual outcomes where there's deep levels of trust, deep levels of communication and commitment. So the representation of mom and dad sitting down together to talk about this really important topic is important. And I feel like it, it opens it so that the child knows that they can go to either parent with questions and more information. It's not, oh, I only go to this one parent as my source. Yeah, that's, that's great, Amber. Okay, so the next thing, I generally start out talking about how when mom and dad uh, first met each other, we really liked each other, we were affectionate, um, we felt deep commitment towards each other and friendship. And, uh, and so we decided that we wanted to get married. We wanted to spend our whole lives together. And so after we were married, we were able to fully express all of the affection and love that we felt for each other. And affection and love um, can be expressed through touching and hugging. And as, as that happens, our bodies naturally respond And the response in a man's body 
is that he'll have greater blood flow towards his genital region. And so his penis will become erect. And that may or may not have happened for you already. Um, and this is a point where you could talk about how they treat their body, how they feel about themselves sexually. But then you continue and you can talk about when a man has an erect penis and a woman is also feeling increased arousal, she, her body will respond by having increased lubrication and uh, also having an increased blood flow to her genital region. And so when people talk about sexual intercourse, what they're talking about is when an erect penis actually enters the woman's vagina. And it's really important for us to have already set a good foundation for all of this terminology so that our children know what a vagina is. It might be helpful at this point if it's a little unclear for us to have a, a diagram, some, you know, some nice tasteful artwork that shows a penis, both a flaccid penis and an erect penis and all the other different uh, body parts of both males and females. So we can talk about how that actually occurs, but that it occurs within a loving, committed relationship. And that this is a happy thing, that it's, it's joyful and it brings a man and a woman closer together. We actually know, and I think children at this age enjoy understanding a little more detail of this, that we can talk to them about some of the hormones and, and the chemical responses that we have in our bodies creates increases in things like oxytocin, which we know creates a bond between the man and the woman. Um, and so there's a lot of important side effects of sex that create a stronger, happier, healthier relationship. I was just thinking as you were talking how in talking with each of my boys, when we first introduced this, they all kind of respond differently. I, you know, one of my sons is very scientifically minded. And so thinking about the, the scientific side of it, describing to him the sperm meeting the egg and things like that, he just, it didn't phase him because he took it from that scientific mind. And my other boys were a little different. And I think you can kind of, you know, adjust a little bit what you're saying and how you're saying it to work well for that child. Yeah, and maybe even pause and let them ask questions or make a comment um, as you go, because that's a lot of information to take in. And every kid's going to process it differently. You know, I really like your idea of having a visual. I think that's important for kids rather than, I mean, like you're saying, it's a lot of information and a picture or a diagram can be worth a thousand words. It really can. It can really clarify. I know when we would do kind of the big talk with our kids, would have them watch that old Nova. Oh, I think it's the Nova yeah. special like when life begins, I think it's called. And that was kind of part of our unfolding of the, of the talk. One of the phases of it. I remember after we watched it with one of my probably seven-year-old daughters, we said, so what did you learn? And at the end, and she said, with just a solemn straight face, she said, what didn't I learn? Just so <laughs> stunned, you know? And so I think we had already verbalized all of the, the processes and mechanisms, but to have sort of it diagrammed out for her was really helpful. And so I, I think that's a really good tip. 
Yeah, and I think we also want to then, after we've explained intercourse, we need to make it a little more applicable to them and their lives and where they're at right now. And so then we can start talking about, all right, you know, you're seven or eight or nine right now. Well, in about four or five or six years, you're going to experience a change in your own body. Um, and then we can start talking about the specifics of a male body and a female body and how they develop um, and go through that maturation process. You know that one of our first signs is that you might start kind of becoming a little more smelly, right? You have a little more body odor. Maybe you start growing some pubic hair or uh, girls start developing breasts. And we notice even the structure of our body changes a little. Boys become a little more muscular and girls might gain a little more fat. Um, and so some of these things we really need to prepare our children for. Girls especially, if they mature earlier than all of their other friends. They're very sensitive to that. If girls start developing breasts earlier than their peers do, we know that takes a big hit on their body image. So we've got to be the ones who kind of fill that gap and say, isn't that a lovely body? Isn't it amazing that your body is preparing for you know this, this amazing process of being able to create a life. It's kind of hard, I have to admit, it's kind of hard to sell our girls on the beauty of a monthly cycle. <laughs> but we can, right? We can be positive about it and say, you know, this is hard and, and there are cramps and there are, you know, headaches and backaches. But um, let's focus on some of the beauty of what your body is going through. Well, I love the idea, and this again is from, from your book, Shalom, but I love the idea, and we did this in our own family too, of celebrating puberty, the onset of puberty. And we know that um, there are several cultures that do that quite well, you know, the Jewish culture with the bar and bat mitzvahs and the quinceañeras and the Latin American cultures and things. But we, you know, were so excited. And we started prepping them saying, when they're eight or so, saying, and it'll be so exciting when you have your first period, you get to pick where we go to dinner and just, just, I mean, not that a dinner can outweigh the pain of all of this, but, but I mean, I just think better to have it be something they look forward to in some way than something they dread and just, just our attitude about it, that we are going to celebrate. I don't even think it matters what the celebration looks like at all. I just think in our family, we are going to celebrate this for you. I like that. It is a lot of responsibility to put on a young girl to, you know, to keep her body clean, to endure the physical changes that that requires um, each month. But I also think that we, like you're saying, we can celebrate that this really is um, a marker of moving into womanhood. And I, I think that hopefully with that change comes some some privileges as well, you know, that they're now allowed to, you know, I don't know what it would be in your family. In our family, they they were able to make more decisions and, and maybe stay out a little later with their friends as they developed through certain, you know, age categories. And so we wanted them to understand that, um, yes, you're going to have to take on more responsibility as you grow up, but you also get to have a little more freedom and say in how you live your life. 
you know, I only have boys, so our experience has been a little different. And I have three basically teenagers right now. And the 15-year-old is loving puberty. He's got a lot of muscles. <laughs> and so he likes to walk around our house with his shirt pulled up so that we can all see the six-pack that he has, that he did nothing to earn. It just happened. <laughs> so from a boy's perspective, I think, you know, the one that's just below him is looking at him and he's like, oh, I can't wait for that to happen to me. Um, but they have gone through some challenges. I was thinking back, my oldest, when he was just turning 12, I just remember him going through hormonal changes and because there's not like a period or something accompanying it, there's no like tangible, yep, that's hormones. But he just went through a month where he would just start crying all the time and he's not a crier. And he'd just be like, I have no idea why I'm crying. And we kind of just laughed at it and had fun with it. And it kind of evened out pretty soon. But, you know, he did go through those changes too. And I think just having that dialogue of, okay, this is probably hormonal changes inside your body. It's normal, it's natural and things, you know, it, it does happen with the boys too. Yeah, I like that. I think that uh, whether our kids know it or not, they, they are experiencing increases, fluctuations in these hormones that, that change how they feel about themselves and about their connection with other people. It's interesting how very self-centered teenagers become because they feel like the world is now looking at them, that everybody has their eyes on them. And so they become really self-conscious. So as parents, just like you're saying, Amber and Rebecca, we can kind of fill in that gap and help them understand that those changes could be celebrated. And yes, they're going to take some adjustment, but we can certainly weather this storm and really mature and develop because of it. Okay, so one other thing we want to talk about, in addition to just how their body is changing, but also how this sexual maturation is going to impact how they feel about uh, other people, a romantic interest, Um, you know, that they might experience arousal, and that arousal in and of itself is a great thing. That's how our bodies are actually wired to respond when we have these interactions with other people. Now, what we do with our arousal, that's up to us. We don't get to control necessarily how our body responds to other people, but we can control what we do with it, right? We control how we think, the environment we create. And so I always like to talk to my kids, even at this younger age, I like to talk to them about the fact that it's important for them to be mindful about all of these changes that are occurring in their body in their mind, in their emotions. Um, And so just because we have heightened emotions and we feel like getting angry doesn't mean we have to, to act out on that anger. And so we can sit with anger. We can sit with sadness. We can sit with it for a few minutes and just be curious and think to ourselves, why is it that I'm feeling this surge of emotion, no matter what it is? Why is it that I feel this surge of arousal? Um, and, and start kind of understanding ourselves better. Was it because I was watching a show that kind of sparked something in me? Or was I uh, thinking about a girl or a boy that I particularly like? Um, there's all sorts of things that could prompt arousal or maybe nothing at all, right? And so we need to encourage our children to kind of slow down and be mindful about what it is all of these changes in their body 
uh, how it's prompting different responses and help them be okay with that and start learning and connecting with that uh, process of learning about their own experience. You know, part of that is so, um, it's never too early to start teaching about this. I think it's really true. And to teach about the non-judgment piece of the mindful approach, I think is really important for for kids and for young adults, um, that they are going to feel this. And this is not shameful, that it's a joyful thing. It's a joyful thing. And how we act on it, that's where the responsibility piece start needs to be, you know, preached and outlined and taught. But those feelings are are great. And and that cheerful word comes to mind that we can talk about that in a cheerful way rather than you might find yourself aroused, you know, in a scary, solemn, you know, shoulder shaking way. But I just think you might find yourself aroused. You might find yourself attracted to people that you've sat by them in class and you haven't noticed them, but suddenly they catch your eye. And that's a really great thing. That means that you're growing up and it means that, you know, what is unfolding is supposed to be unfolding is unfolding for you. Yeah, I like that. I remember after one seminar, there was um, a dad who came up and was just horrified that his daughter, I think she was 12 or 13, his daughter was so boy crazy. And uh, he kept talking about it uh, kind of in this alarmist tone. And finally, I just said, so what, what is the problem? What are you concerned about? Well, she's boy crazy. And I said, well, that's a great thing. I mean, that's exactly how her body should be responding and developing. Um, now, what she does with that, that's another topic. We can talk about treating, you know, our peers respectfully and learning to, to have appropriate social interactions. There are so many things that our teenagers are learning at this point because truthfully, their brains have been flooded with all sorts of chemicals, heightened levels of these chemicals, that they literally are having to relearn all of these things over again. They're learning how to interact with peers. They're learning how to uh, regulate their own emotions. They're learning all sorts of things. And so what's unfortunate is that this is often the time where parents pull away because our children are a little bit difficult or maybe really emotional. And so we don't have the bandwidth to, to deal with that. But this is exactly the time that they need us even more than ever. They need our guidance. They need our support. They need to know that there's somebody they can go to and talk about these things. I think that one of the most important things we need to remember as we start to talk to our children about the intricacies and the details of sex is that we are teaching them through our example within our own marriage. We're teaching them by how we behave, just the tone that we have as we talk to them and the words that we communicate to them. And I love what Rebecca said at the beginning of this uh, podcast is that if we made a mistake, we can circle around and say, you know what, I think I might have miscommunicated this one point. Let's talk about that again. You know, the cement is not dry. 
right? We, we can go back and correct whatever it is that we might have, you know, given the wrong impression, or maybe we were harsh about something. And, and we really want to communicate that this is a beautiful process, and that this is actually a fun part of their life. It's going to be an important part of their future relationship um, with their spouse. That's it for this week. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Sexual Mindfulness Project and subscribe to our website, shalomlevitt.com, to stay up to date with the latest information on sexual mindfulness. Thanks for listening.